welcome to Comically Pedantic, where we take a detailed look at the complicated concepts, characters, and history of comic book culture. I'm your host, Derek L. Chase, and joining me on this episode is the great Nick Klein. Yo, what's up? How you doing? <laughs> uh, thank you for joining me. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. I was looking forward to this so much. You're actually, you know, you're the first uh, male presenting person I've had on the show so far, other than me. Oh, yeah. I love to be the first for things. <laughs> um, I, I know you and I have talked a little bit about this uh, before. I, I, when I started writing this um, particular episode, I had you in mind mostly because uh, I love telling you crazy shit. <laughs> I mean, it's so much fun. I, like, just the little bit that you told me is like so, like, already mind blowing so i'm really looking forward to this <laughs> i i i found a a video not i think i sent it to you not too long ago um where uh austin had recorded uh me speaking to you about power rangers <laughs> yes oh my god yeah that was that was really good <laughs> so um, I mean, this is definitely something that i think that uh we have some history with uh, yes. being able to just get really deep into some some weird shit. Yeah, weird and nerdy. Very oh, important. Yeah. <laughs> so, so normally when planning this show, I like to have an interesting topic about comics that relate to the real world concepts or events that are happening. Uh, and I often specifically uh, focus on ongoing sexism, racism, or the general insanity of everyday life. But sometimes... Uh, I think it's fun to take a step back and realize that I'm talking about comics and that they are themselves crazy and fun. So to that end, I thought it would be interesting to do a deep dive into a particular character and try to give an intense yet nowhere near full biography. And that is hopefully going to be easy to follow. Uh, I, it was very difficult to lay this out in a way that I thought made sense. <laughs> so uh, I, I mean, the- like I said, you know, like, the, the, like the little you told me so far, or I can understand why it'd be so difficult. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, with with absolutely no shortage of interesting characters to start with, I thought it might be fun to go back to one of my favorite convoluted backstories and introduce everyone to Marvel's techno organic mercenary slash messiah, Cable. So I want to start by saying that I'll be handling the references for this particular episode a little bit differently than I normally would. Um, since the cover, this this whole thing uh, is covering long stretches of several different series, I am instead going to put a list of recommended reading in the reference sections, just so that I'm not basically saying, go read all of X-Factor, go read all of X-Force. Like, it's just going to be a, a, a pretty simple, I think you would want to, if you want, if you're interested in this particular aspect of the character, you should read this story. Um. So before we start, I mean, uh, do you know anything in particular about like the X-Men or Cable? Uh, I mean, I know I've talked to you a little bit about like how it's fucking insane, but. Yeah. Um, well, I do know time travel's involved. And that's always like, <laughs> like that. It, like you watch, like, for example, Doctor Who and it's, it always makes things absolutely insane. Like you can do all kinds of crazy things with it in a story. So that's really exciting. Um. I don't really remember too much else, uh, but to be honest, I kind of avoided learning about Cable because I was so I was like really excited to have you tell me the story. You know? Oh yeah, perfect. Um, yeah. In, in terms of the X Men, you you uh, do you have a basic idea of like who they are, what their deal is? Uh, well, there I know that it's like uh, Professor X started a school for mutants because they were being persecuted by normal humans and all that stuff. Uh, and then they end up also, since they have these powers anyway, they like try and help save the world. And most of the time, most of the time, they succeed, as far as I know. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> uh, but that, like, I, I have a very basic understanding of the X. I mean, like, that, I, and that's I, that's all you really need. Uh, for this, the the biggest thing is just like the X Men exist. They all have what different powers. <laughs> and from there, I, like I'm 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 a huge fan of the X Men. Um, I have I've taken a break recently 
But I have, starting a few years ago, I decided I wanted to read all of the X-Men. <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like equivalent to watching all of One Piece right now. I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's I, I, I started in 19 uh was it 63 or 64 somewhere whenever X-Men started it was around that time. And uh I have read all the way up through 1997 um which encapsulates How long did that take? a lot. Oh, that has taken me at least 5 years to do. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> It's and it's mostly me, like you know, reading at night, like you know, before I go yeah. to bed or whatever. I can I can knock out a bunch. Um, yeah, and it is, it's it's difficult because you know you started with X Men and that that became Uncanny X Men, mm-hmm. and then as time went on, they were like, oh well, now we're going to add New Mutants, and now we're going to add X Factor, and now we're going to add uh, uh, Excalibur, and. Aren't they like three generations in now? Like, oh, it's it's more than that, and it's weird because they keep bringing people back too. So, yeah. I, I always get really invested in the new crowd. Yeah, and then they kind of just go, oh, but we're going to bring the old, <laughs> the old yeah, guys back. I remember you telling me the story of uh, Jean Grey a little bit, and that was like, oh, that that is that's yeah. actually the first thing we have to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> So, and actually, let's just start with that. So, to give proper context, segue. <laughs> yeah, to give proper context to this story, we actually have to start a few years before the character was ever actually introduced. So, in fact, we need to go all the way back to the death of Jean Grey in 1976. Kind of. Kind of. I don't, I don't want to get too deep into the story of Jean Grey or any of the behind-the-scenes events because that could fill hours of this show. But it's important to know that she seemingly died in one issue of the comic and was resurrected, calling herself the Phoenix in the next. So this was a big deal at the time, as it perfectly positioned Jean to be a more powerful character in the X-Men and give her a role that is much bigger than her beginnings as just the girl on the team. And this is all well and good, but was eventually revealed to be a lie. Her death and resurrection never happened. While she was ready to die from her wounds, a cosmic entity representing life and passion known as the Phoenix Force intervened, placing Jean into a suspended animation at the bottom of Jamaica Bay until she was fully healed. So while Jean recovered, the Phoenix took her form and her consciousness to live out her life in her stead. Wait, wait. So when she resurrected, was it Phoenix, who was controlling her, or was it Jean Grey pretend, <laughs> it, pretending to be Phoenix? So it, it it depends on when you are reading it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the original uh, the original version of this story is that Jean almost died. And this released the full power uh, inside of her, and she became the Phoenix. But the retcon that came out many, many years later is that instead of that actually happening, she was dying. And the Phoenix Force, which is a separate being entirely, saved her, put her in like a little cocoon in the bottom of the ocean, and took on her form and just basically pretended to be Jean. I mean, it used Jean's consciousness. So it was kind of her, but also not really. So the Phoenix Force is a consciousness, though. It has yes. its own like life force. Okay. The Phoenix Force this is, is already confusing. This is already crazy, and we're not even at cable. <laughs> so, I, I, I will say the Phoenix Force is one of those things that's really difficult to actually track because there have been several different origin stories for the Phoenix, right. and several different, uh, several different points in the comics where they say, "Oh, this is why the Phoenix acted this way, and this is why uh, the Phoenix looks like a bird." It, it all comes about like my favorite version of it all came from Excalibur, um, but it's confusing as hell. So I mean, all you really need to know is that it's it's this fiery bird that is basically an abstract consciousness. 
I have a feeling that confusing as hell is going to be par for the course for this. Yes. <laughs> so uh, the whole thing about Jean being replaced by the Phoenix, that, that part is incredibly important because Jean's supposed death and her replacement by the Phoenix technically sets up three different timelines that we're going to cover. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Marvel, Marvel has done a pretty good job of cataloging these to keep them from getting too confusing by adding number designations for the individual universes that are created. And I won't get into the number designations because I think it will be way more confusing than it needs to be here. It does help in terms of like when you're trying to go, okay, which timeline is this? And it has like a number associated with it. Yeah. Um, but we will be following the main Marvel timeline an alternate future reality known as the Days of Future Past timeline, where Jean actually embraced the Phoenix Force as part of herself instead of being replaced. So instead of being put in a cocoon at the bottom of the ocean, she like took the Phoenix Force into her body and became Phoenix. Is, so uh, is that the, uh, the evil version of Phoenix? or the? Uh, in, well, in that timeline, n- no. We'll get to the evil. Ver- we'll get to the evil version of Phoenix too. Just, just to be clear, the only reference I really have to Phoenix that I've experienced is X Men Three, and that movie was not. Uh, yeah, and it's <laughs> we we will definitely get into it. Uh, the the Days of Future Past timeline. The biggest thing to know about that. So, Jean took the the Phoenix Force into herself. She became the Phoenix. I do think the Dark Phoenix saga happens, so she does become evil, but I think she comes back from the brink at the end, if I remember correctly. Um, and at the end of the three, she does. Like, she gets killed by Wolverine, but also, like, is coming back. It's weird. It's so, it's it, so yes. weird. Yes. <laughs> the, the thing that makes the Days of Future Past timeline distinct, though, is that the humans have basically decided to round up all of the mutants and kill them or make them slaves. Okay. Uh, so that's why it's the days of future past timeline. Uh, um, it, 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 it gets brought up quite a bit because it's a really good story. Um, but the reason it, it, it involves the main Marvel timeline is because they actually, it's, they try to send someone back in time to stop it from happening. And it has nothing to do with Phoenix. It's just that's one of those things that makes it different. So, uh, so the Days of Future Past wasn't caused by Phoenix. It's just that the her uh, embracing Phoenix is a part of that specific timeline. Right. Okay, got it. The third timeline that we're going to be dealing with is called the Ascani timeline, which is actually more relevant to all of the events that happen about 2,000 years in the future. <laughs> so we'll be getting into that too. So this is this is all a primer. It's not important to remember every detail, but just uh, to know that we will be discussing different timelines moving forward, and that the way that time travel works at Marvel is that every time you tra- uh, you time travel, you're also traveling to an alternate universe. Uh, so keep all of that in the back of your mind when we get uh, into things because it gets way more complicated. So if you've seen can- uh, if you've seen Avengers Endgame. It's similar. No, I haven't. Oh. <laughs> I, I haven't. Unfortunately, I know everybody's like, you should watch it, you should watch it. And I probably will at some point. I just, I don't know. I've never been much of a movie guy. So it's hard it's, for me it's, to like sit down and commit, you know? Well, the idea, the idea behind the time travel that is used in Marvel is if you travel from now, let's say, to 1976, you're not yeah. going back to our 1976. You're going to a different universe that is okay. basically the same, but from the moment you enter 1976, it's a different time. So you're essentially, whenever you time travel, you're creating a split into two separate timelines. Right. Okay, got it. Oof. <laughs> this is going to be a long one. <laughs> <laughs> so while masquerading as Jean, the Phoenix's mind was manipulated by a villain, leading to her uh, falling from grace and eventually going on trial for genocide in space by aliens. Uh, okay. This is definitely going to be a story I cover someday, but for now, just trust that this makes sense in the context of the story. Uh, and by having her mind tampered with, Phoenix lost control and became a far more aggressive and dangerous and eventually uh, evil, I would say, 
being. She consumed a star that supported life on a nearby planet, and a, a collective of alien races banded together to demand her death. That's that trial in space by aliens. Nice. The X-Men, however, refused to abandon her, eventually culminating in a duel on the moon where the Phoenix sacrificed herself to save her family. An important element of the story is that at the time of writing it, it hadn't been decided that Jean was replaced by the Phoenix. So we talked about this already, but it needs to be made clear that it was supposedly Jean realizing her ultimate potential. And thus, uh, this was supposed to be about Jean's own loss of control and sacrifice, which led to the fantastic ending quote, Jean Grey would have lived to become a god, but it was more important to her that she die a human. And I think that's such a good a good ending line. I mean, that's uh, just a good I, like idea in general. Though the the retcon of Phoenix is a it's its own very confusing story that all and it's all behind the scenes nonsense that led to bringing Gene back from the dead. We're, we'll we'll get into more of it. <laughs> I have a feeling when uh, comic book writers and artists like do that kind of thing, it's always like I really want. To bring back this character, but I don't quite know how. Uh, well, okay. So for this particular character, it was more she had done such awful things as the Phoenix. Like she, she killed an entire race of beings. She, she basically destroyed an entire solar. Like if you get rid of a sun, the entire solar system is no longer a solar. Like everything right. dies. <laughs> And so the the idea behind wanting to bring her back, uh, I mean, everyone loved Jean. That was one thing they they wanted Jean to come back. Um, they were really pushing a series called X Factor, and the the premise of X Factor was it would be the original five X Men together. Oh, okay. So they had to have Jean back for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then in order to come up with a, a way to bring her back, they couldn't just be like, oh, and there she is. Uh, I mean, they could bring her back from the dead any number of ways, but they had to bring her back in a way that excused that uh, killing so many goddamn people. <laughs> <laughs> so their way around that was to say, oh, that was the Phoenix, not Gene. Okay. <laughs> the loss of Jean Grey shook the X-Men, but it also upset a villain that they hadn't even met yet. His name is Sinister. See, Sinister's goal for years was the study of Scott Summers, a.k.a. Cyclops, and his genetic heritage. He believed that Scott and Jean would eventually have a child that had such enormous power that it could easily kill Sinister's main nemesis, an ancient, extremely powerful mutant known as Apocalypse. Oh, I've there, heard of him. Yeah. I mean, they made a movie about him. It was not good either. Yeah. <laughs> Their is, rivalry. Isn't oh, he supposed to be like super, like, like crazy, like way too powerful? Apocalypse. It's, it's weird. Cause so Apocalypse came out, his first appearance was in X Factor. And it wasn't even supposed to be Apocalypse. It was supposed to be another villain. And they were like, uh, it, there was a, there was a change of writers, and the new writer looked at this and said, "This is underwhelming as hell. We have to come up with someone else entirely." And they just on the fly made up Apocalypse, yeah. and uh, Apocalypse originally just kind of had Mister Fantastic uh, his powers. He just like stretched everywhere, got big and stuff, and that's right. kind of what his superpowers are. He yeah. he can control his body, so he can basically uh, make himself into whatever he wants. Um, Reminds me of Carnage. That's pre he, it's pretty similar to that, yeah. too. Uh, the, the way that the reason Apocalypse becomes such a big deal is more just his ambition right. and his uh, ideology. Okay. Uh, in fact, the the the, the rivalry um, between Sinister and Apocalypse is based on ideology. Sinister is obsessed with genetics and wants to carefully guide human and mutant evolution in the direction that he sees fit. And Apocalypse believes in survival of the fittest. 
but he has a barbaric understanding of it. So he wants right. to usurp control and create conflict, believing that whoever is left alive must be worthy. Mm-hmm. So if Apocalypse were to achieve his goal, which again, he's extremely powerful, so it is very likely that he would, it would make Sinister's goal impossible. So therefore, Sinister needs to kill Apocalypse. <laughs> and they're both bad guys, right? They're both bad guys. And <laughs> they Apocalypse made Sinister too. Like he he gave Sinister his powers. So, and then after he did that, Sinister was immediately like, oh, I gotta fucking kill this guy. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Okay. But so how does Apocalypse giving someone powers make sense if Apocalypse believes in survival of the fittest? He, he more or less, uh, it doesn't, but he more, or less, <laughs> he, he more or less wanted to give uh, this Nathaniel Essex, who became Sinister, he wanted to give him powers uh, more or less so that he was longer living and could continue on his goal of 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 playing with genetics okay uh it it's a it's a really interesting his his origin story is really fun and really cool it's just that like it's kind of like apocalypse all of his plans are bad (laughs) every single one of them tends to be like like, why the fuck would you do this (laughs) (laughs) yeah it sounds like he uh he has a goal, but hasn't really thought out the, uh, the steps to the goal. Right. Yeah, and whereas like with Sinister, Sinister is all about those steps. Like his goal yeah. is the process, right. and yeah. Sinister does everything with the most amount of drama that he can. So he's, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sounds really interesting. Uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe for another episode. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, so in terms of this story, one thing that we need to know is that for for Sinister to kill Apocalypse, he needed a weapon, and his main weapon was the the Summer's heritage. And with Gene dead, he was kind of out of a weapon because his goal was for Gene and Cyclops to have a baby, right? And that that baby was going to be the culmination of his years long. Uh, manipulation. So was he doing genetic manipulation on Scott and Gene or was he just like observing them? For the most part he was observing them. He was trying to get them together. He thought that if they were to have a baby that baby would be the strongest mutant and, and could yeah and could take out Apocalypse no problem and that would be his weapon against Apocalypse would be this baby. Got it. Um, it gets more confusing than that because it turns out pretty much if if you go into Cyclops's backstory, nearly anyone who had anything to do with him as a kid was sinister, just in disguise. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, it. I don't really know exactly what um, like the the thought process there was, but he did a lot of like playing with Cyclops's DNA as a kid and like trying to manipulate him into doing certain things. He, he guided Cyclops along a particular path. Right. Um, Also not very good. um, But I mean, better than I want everything strong to live and everything weak to die, but I don't know how to do it. So, Oh, that's true. (laughs) So after all of this happens, Sinister had to come up with a new plan. And that new plan involved Someone named Madeline Pryor. Do you know who Madeline Pryor is? No idea. Oh boy, this is going to be so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of the Madeline Pryor character, and in particular, the stories that she was famous for being in in the 80s, because they are just so much fun and full of drama. I, I love me some drama. Oh my God, yes. I don't like per- I don't like drama in my personal life, but if there's drama el- like elsewhere, get me some popcorn, please. Hell yeah! <laughs> so Sinister cloned Jean Grey so that he would always have a fresh genetic stock to work from. 
He had noticed Phoenix's erratic behavior and felt that there might be a situation where he would need to back up. Uh, like, and that makes sense, right? If she dies, then he's out of his, uh, his main weapon. Yeah. So the problem, it seemed, is that the clone never developed mutant abilities or any real sense of consciousness. Sinister abandoned the project only to be caught by surprise after Phoenix's sacrifice on the moon. Seeking to return the portion of her soul that it had borrowed, the Phoenix Force was initially rejected by the unconscious gene at the bottom of Jamaica Bay and instead settled in the clone that Sinister had created, thus bringing her to life. Seeing the new opportunity that he had to, uh, to capitalize on these developments, Sinister quickly created a new persona for that clone, naming her Madeline Pryor. And he put her in a place where Cyclops was sure to meet her. Wait, this okay. led Scott. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Does, it, does Madeline look exactly like Jean Grey? Yes. It, I don't, this is another form, this is another part of the comics that I don't really understand. They, everyone comments on how she looks just like Jean. And Cyclops is even like, she looks just like Jean. <laughs> Um, but there's no like suspicion that she might be genetically the same as Jean. There are moments where there, uh, it comes up. Okay. But it's, it's still, they just sort of kind of go, oh, this is clearly someone who looks exactly like my dead girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and they just go with it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Go with it. Why not? <laughs> so after a whirlwind romance, Scott proposes to Madeline on the deck of his father's spaceship. Uh, which is its own crazy story that isn't directly related to Cable other than knowing that his grandfather is now a space pirate with an amazing mustache and is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So during their honeymoon, Scott decided he would rather retire from the X-Men than face constant fights and endangering his and his wife's life on a daily basis. And this leads us to a new character that I have to introduce before we get to Cable's introduction, and that's Rachel Summers. Uh, so, sister, daughter. Uh, we'll get to it. Okay. So, <laughs> are you following along so far? Are we? We're making sense. I'm certainly trying. <laughs> <laughs> so Rachel's story actually begins in the alternate timeline of Days of Future Past. That's why I brought it up earlier. Right. In this altered timeline, Jean never sacrificed herself on the moon, and the Phoenix actually merged with her, eventually causing her to become pregnant with a daughter. Since in this timeline, Jean was married to Scott, they named their baby Rachel Summers. Okay, so the baby is Phoenix's and Jean Grace. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Although, I mean, so it also needs to be pointed out. So I don't think anyone was necessarily aware of that to any extent. Scott just calls Rachel uh, his daughter and raises her as his daughter. You know, I mean... Uh, in I mean, in the grand scheme of things, the person who raises the child is really the father, right? Not the not the si- like not the person who's the the sperm donor, for lack of a better word. <laughs> right. So Rachel had inherited her mother's telekinesis and telepathic abilities, but had also developed some control over time, allowing her to travel through or to send other others' consciousnesses through time. So when Rachel was young, federal troops attacked the Xavier School, killing most of the mutants inside. She survived, however, and was taken by the government and forced into their hound program, where she would be brainwashed to track other mutants to be killed or placed in detention camps. She eventually frees herself from the brainwashing and is placed into a camp with Kate Pride, a former X-Men. So, while in the South Bronx containment facility, they hatched a plan. Rachel would send Kate's consciousness back in time to possess her younger self when she had just joined the X-Men in order to stop the assassination of U.S. Senator uh, Robert Kelly, an event that they believed led to the government's expedited prejudice against mutant kind. This played out in the famous story Days of Future Past, which is why I keep calling this the Days of Future Past timeline. I, I knew I recognized that name. Yeah, they made a movie too, but it's very different. <laughs> it's like they get the basic how, idea of time travels involved. That's just always how it goes with the X Men movies. The X Men, like, come on. I 
I went back recently and I watched X2 and I was shocked at how much I still loved it. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, X2 is a lot of fun. I mean, it's not how I would make an X-Men movie today, but it's still, it's a really good movie. Yeah. I, so, don't, I don't know. The only one I watched was three and I hate I hate it. So oh, no. That's, it's not, we'll just watch the first two. First two are great. Okay. First two are great. And Got it. Maybe first class. First class is fun. Yeah. Uh, so when Kate's mission was accomplished, nothing really changed for the Days of Future Past timeline. And that's because they weren't really aware that time travel wouldn't necessarily save their own time. Right. You know, because it was the alternate universe thing. Right. Seeking answers, Rachel meditated and sent her own consciousness back in time. And this event caught the attention of the Phoenix Force, who read Rachel's mind and was fascinated by her history and her strength. It gave her a portion of itself to take with her when she traveled back into the future. And as Rachel passed out from the stress of the time travel, Kate bargained with the Phoenix Force to save her from this dark future and to give her a chance at a normal life. This time, it boosted her natural abilities and sent her physical body back through time. Once she arrived in the main Marvel timeline, she joined the X-Men. And while with this team, Rachel learned of her mother's supposed death on the moon, and in a moment of wait, defiance, decided. Well, sorry, what was that? I'm, I'm sorry. Wait. Uh, it sent. It sent Kate, or it sent. It the, sent the, the, Rachel. The Rachel back, the in Rachel back. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so Rachel had the ability, basically, like sending her own mind back in time. Yeah. Like, like, sort of like an astral projection, but right. with the Phoenix Force, was able to send her entire body. Okay. Uh, uh, okay. And then she joined, I'm back on she, <laughs> she joined the <laughs> X-Men when she got into the main Marvel timeline. And um, when she was, she was really upset after finding out about her mother's death, um, she decided to take the name Phoenix for herself. And she awakened a portion of uh, the Phoenix force that had been inside of her, which manifested into like stronger abilities, basically. So eventually she left the X-Men and helped found the British superhero group Excalibur and became friends with her teammate, Captain Britain. This is all important for way later. So I want to make sure we just keep note of this. Rachel went to England, started a new superhero group called Excalibur, and became friends with Captain Britain. Okay. So this brings us all the way back to Madeline Scott and finally the introduction of the character that would eventually become Cable. While away from the team, Madeline Scott conceived a baby and they named it Nathan Christopher Charles Summers, the first in a long series of names that Cable would acquire throughout his life. So he's essentially Rachel Scott's brother. She's, uh, Ra- he, he is Rachel Scott's, or, sorry, Rachel Summers. Sorry, Rachel Summers. Rachel Summers. He is Rachel Summers' brother from another universe uh yeah parallel universe brother right got it (laughs) so unfortunately all of this cable's birth happened to coincide with the awakening of jean gray So, so after several tests and long hours of questions it was revealed that jean had been replaced by the phoenix force and therefore not responsible for any of the deaths caused by the phoenix we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier yes Having heard of Jean's miraculous return, Scott fled his home to see his long-lost love, abandoning his wife and child. And I do <laughs> want to make that clear. It's not like it's like, oh, I'm just going to go visit. He fucking straight up leaves and is gone. <laughs> so he abandoned his original girlfriend's clone, who was his wife, to go back to his original girlfriend. Right, he didn't. He didn't know it was uh, that that Madeline was a clone at this time. He was just kind of like, "Oh, it's a girl that looks exactly like my dead girlfriend." I know. I'm uh, just trying to wrap my head around all this. <laughs> the the moment he heard that Gene was alive, he just fucking left, he and he just was gone. And. <laughs> He was living in Alaska at the time and he went all the way to New York and then just lives in New York for a few months. <laughs> did, he even tell, did he even tell them where he was going? I think he mentioned that he was going to New York. It's been a while since I've read that particular story. 
Um, but I know, like, uh, definitely pissed Madeline off as he was walking out of the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course it did. <laughs> so since Maddie and baby Nathan were left alone, Sinister felt that this was the perfect opportunity to get rid of his clone since the original had returned from the dead. He didn't need her anymore. So uh, he sent his marauders after them. They shot Madeline multiple times, sent her into a coma, and then abducted the baby. And when Madeline finally recovered, she joined the X-Men in hopes that they would help her find her child. So again, at this time, Scott has nothing to do with the X-Men. He's off in New York, kind of doing his own thing. He's not, is he not even with Jean Grey? He's with Jean. He, okay. uh, so Scott started a separate team known as X-Factor with Jean Grey and the original X-Men. Right, I think uh, you told me a little bit about that at some point. Yeah, so... Returning to his home uh, in New York was, it was mainly, he went to go see Jean and then just kind of was like, oh, this is great. I think I'm just going to not deal with my own problems right now, which is a trait that Cyclops has uh, throughout his life. Whenever anything gets really bad, he just kind of fucks off somewhere. Usually Alaska, but since he was in Alaska, he had to go back to New York. Uh, <laughs> He usually fucks off to Alaska and is just like, oh, I don't want to deal with anything. I'm just going to be here for a while. That's, uh, I, can, I guess I can understand the avoidant behavior. Right. I do, I do that from time to time. I don't, I don't fuck off to Alaska. You know, I, <laughs> I, shut, my, I shut myself in my room, but you know, I, I, get, I get it. Get right. It. <laughs> so after, after Scott is in New York for, I, I, like, I cannot stress this enough. It's a fucking long while. And he, Barely, I think he called his wife once and no one answered. Uh, so he returned he back up. Pretty much. Well, I mean, until <laughs> after a little bit more time passes, he decides he wants to go back to Alaska to try to check on them. And he comes back to his home and he finds that there's no trace of his family. It's just empty. And he assumes that they moved on without him. Um, because he was a dick and abandoned his wife and kid. I mean, yeah, so that's a safe assumption. He returns back to New York in the hopes that they would one day cross paths again. Now, <laughs> learning of Jean's return from the dead, Maddie began to give, uh, give in to some of her darker impulses. She made a deal with a couple of demons and Wait, agreed so to help. Does, does Ma- <laughs> Does Maddie have superpowers? Is she like telekinetic too? Not at first. Okay. <laughs> at this point, everyone just thinks she's a human. Okay. So she makes a deal with these demons to create a link between Limbo and Earth in exchange for revenge on the Marauders and the return of her child. So fulfilling their end of the bargain, the demons sent her to the state home for foundlings in Nebraska, an orphanage where Scott grew up. And in the basement, she found her child undergoing experiments at the hands of Sinister, who explained her history as a clone of Jean Grey. So this is the first time she's learning, I'm a clone. There's this fucking crazy guy with a diamond on his head who's experimenting on my baby, and he made me. So, so already we have time travel, we've got clones. But, <laughs> like, like, what? <laughs> well, learning, learning all of this, breaks her and she dubs herself the goblin queen okay <laughs> she takes her baby back uh, uh back from sinister and she flies to new york in order to battle the x-men and x-factor while giving in uh to her demonic control so she basically she puts on a, an evil costume which is basically the skimpiest bikini you can think of with a cape uh, um, as is as is female costumes in comic books a lot. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And at this point, she does have powers. They do sort of awaken. She has uh, demonic powers as well as like telepathic and uh, telekinetic powers. So like the demons give her their own powers and then that awakens her own like telepathic powers? Kind of, yeah. I think it's more just like her mind breaking from all of this is sort of like, oh, well, fuck it. Now she's got everything. (laughs) <laughs> right. It broke some sort of barrier. Okay. 
so she loses uh, a fight with the X-Men. And in uh, at the end of the fight, she attempts to pull Jean's consciousness into her own so that when she dies, they both die. Mm. She's like, fuck this bitch. She took my husband. <laughs> Which, fair enough. <laughs> fair. Yep. Yep, yep. <laughs> but the Phoenix Force uh, interjected, returning the portion of Jean's soul and its power back to Jean Grey which essentially just kills Madeline. So she's out of the picture for a while. (laughs) She's dead. She's dead, but not, she's, she comes back. She'll be back later. Don't worry about it. (laughs) So with a portion of her soul returned, Jean now uh, joins Scott in raising baby Nathan. And during this time, he began manifesting some of his uh, mutant powers, creating a psionic bubble around himself, uh, which kind of, gives a strong indication of the amount of power that this baby has. Yeah. So this unfortunately caught the attention of the mutant conqueror Apocalypse, who kidnapped baby Nathan and infected him with a techno-organic virus, which is a virus that consumes biological uh, matter and it turns it into technology, basically. Right. Uh, Okay. I can... It can picture this. So the host can be alive in a sense, but becomes overwhelmed with the need to infect others and spread the virus. Right. Okay. Yeah, um, it sounds like any other virus, really. Yeah. It's just that this one is it gives you weird robot shit. Yay. Weird ro- we like weird robot shit. I do love weird robot shit. <laughs> <laughs> so during the fight with Apocalypse, a mysterious woman named Sister Ascani appears and convinces Jean and Scott that the best way to save the baby from the virus was to give him to her. She reveals that she is actually from the future and had been sent back in time to save the baby that she believed was destined to overthrow Apocalypse. Wait, wait isn't, isn't Sister Ascani Rachel Summers? We will get to that. Uh. <laughs> this, this Sister Ascani is not Rachel Summers. Okay. <laughs> Okay. So taking Nathan from his parents, she travels to the far distant future where he will grow up to become the man known as Cable. So another thing that I've neglected to mention until now is uh, because it actually serves a surprisingly small part of the character's backstory is that baby Nathan and his family lived in a sentient spaceship (laughs) gifted to them by Apocalypse for reasons that only he can answer. Again, Apocalypse is bad at his job. He at some point just gives them a fucking spaceship so he so he infected the baby with a virus was it was the virus intended to kill nathan or was it what was the goal in infecting him with the virus i think it was to i think it would either it would kill nathan or he would have some sort of control over nathan uh okay i think it's so, a win win for him if it works but so Okay, so the control thing, fine. I can understand why he would give him the spaceship. But if it's just to kill Nathan... No, no, so this is, this is actually a little, uh, a little bit of a, a distinction here. The, okay. the techno-organic virus has nothing to do with the spaceship. What? The spaceship, <laughs> the spaceship was uh, prior to all of this, in one of the battles that uh, X-Factor had with Apocalypse, uh, it happens on Apocalypse's spaceship. And Apocalypse is just kind of like, I'm leaving. You can have the spaceship. <laughs> Apocalypse, it's- you're a super villain. You don't give the superheroes things. <laughs> <laughs> so they've been, living, they've been living on this spaceship, and the spaceship's alive. Like, it has a consciousness. Yeah. Like, so- a, like an AI or like, like an actual consciousness? Um... It's, I think it's an AI that sort of just gains sentience. Gains sentience, yeah. That's what I, I remember from this. It's a very, I like the ship. It's a very confusing story because it, it takes place over the course of several years. I'm going to be and honest, all of this is confusing. <laughs> I think what happened was more just, I think it was decided that X Factor was going to live on a cool ass spaceship. Uh, that was alive, and then later they were like, "Let's figure out how to explain this." Right. Okay. <laughs> so they were just like, "Fuck it," they got it from Apocalypse. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe uh, back. Maybe you should go back to the drawing board on that one. All right. 
<laughs> Regardless, Ship, their home, decided to accompany Nathan into the far future to help protect him. Because he's kind of like, hey, I like this kid. I want to yeah. make sure this kid's okay. Yeah. So he implants his personality and some functionality into Nathan's body and fights the virus off as best he can. He's, right. he's trying to help save him. Right. The corruption to its consciousness caused large memory problems and eventually Ship forgot most of his history, except for the duty to, to save Cable. It takes the name Professor and stays as part of Cable or his equipment well into his adulthood. So Professor later gains a techno-organic body for himself, and at that point takes the name Prosh. Unfortunately, his new body interferes with Cable's ability to fight off his own techno-organic infection, so Prosh says farewell, turns himself back into a spaceship, and flies away. (laughs) Ship slash Professor slash Prosh is a fun character, and I was genuinely sad to see him go, even if it was one of the silliest stories I had ever read. I mo- mostly just wanted to get that across because I'm not going to come back to this, uh, the fact that Professor is like part of Cable's body. I just wanted to be like, that happened? I mean, I'm and- glad you did because that's super fun. Like, just it, in general. It, it, like, the, when I read the story where uh, Professor slash Ship became prosh and had his own body i was like the fuck am i reading (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah that was that was my thought too it's like i don't i what what the the, what it was really fun it was a really really good series it was i mean it was like a couple issues but it was a lot of fun yeah i mean Um, a a sentient spaceship all right you had me at sentient spaceship (laughs) (laughs) so this is a good point to stop and do some clarifying on the origin of the character because um, it is actually more convoluted than it seems. So It's already convoluted. <laughs> pretty soon we will be checking back in with his sister from an alternate future, but there's actually something even more interesting that I've skirted around. A few years after the baby was introduced in the comics, but about a year before he was sent into the future with Sister Ascani, the adult Cable was introduced in the pages of the New Mutants comic as the new leader of their team. So for that year, baby Nathan and adult Cable coexisted in the same place at the same time. And the reason for this is pretty fun. The editor at the time, Bob Harris, wanted to shake things up for the New Mutants comic, where the team recently lost two of its mentors, Professor X and Magneto. Both of them were their teachers at different points. Harris felt that a new leader was needed that could be a sharp contrast from the group's founder and its first mentor, Professor X. Louis Simonson, the writer at the time, suggested a military leader would be a good idea, and Harris tasked the book's artist, Rob Liefeld, to design the character. Both Simonson and Liefeld each separately conceived of the leader being a mysterious time traveler from the future, but they differed on the specifics. As Liefeld put it, quote, I was given a directive to create a new leader for the New Mutants. There was no, sh- no name, no description besides a man of action, the opposite of Xavier. I created the look, the name, much of the history of the character. And after I named him Cable, Bob suggested Quinn and Louise had Commander X. Um, so Cable was meant to just be a brand new character, completely disconnected from the X-Men comics of the time. He was just some dude who had a robot arm so and when a glowing was- eye. When he was introduced, he was not necessarily Nathan. Right. They okay. just were like, there's this guy. His name is Cable. He has a glowing eye. He's got big guns and a robot arm. He's cool. Just go with it. <laughs> uh, so throughout the New Mutants, the characters came into conflict with a mutant terrorist group known as the Mutant Liberation Front or the MLF. The leader of that team was a masked man going by the name of Strife, which had been hinted for some time was actually Cable himself. Most notably, when he removed his mask to reveal to the readers Cable's face underneath. So, as Brian Cronin wrote in Comic Book Legends Revealed, Liefeld's theory was that since Cable was a time traveler, who knows when we are seeing Cable in his timeline? So we would then see him slowly descend into madness and become the nemesis of his own younger self. It's a clever approach. I, I, um, the, the listeners can't see me, but I'm currently pinching the bridge of my nose. 
<laughs> I mean, this that's actually something if you read the Avengers comics, uh Kang the Conqueror, that's that is Kang the Conqueror. He is at one point he is a mortis who is not necessarily good, but like not evil. Yeah. Or okay. not like as evil as Kang. Uh, and at a different point is Kang the Conqueror. But it's the same person, just he has time traveled so much, it no one knows when either exists. Like <laughs> Who's older? Who's younger? <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, I can't. This is this is crazy. This is crazy. It's crazy. This is I, I can't. I fucking love comics. I, I do too. <laughs> I don't, like you're you're in like you're instilling a love. I don't even read comic books like that. Like every once in a while, I'll pick one up, you know. But like. Like just listening, it's fascinating. It's so fascinating. Like I, I even I, I I before I got on this call uh, to to record this, I have to, I was watching the Power Rangers. Yeah, and I was watching the Power Rangers because I have been reading the new Power Rangers comic book, and I have to tell you, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> and it's it's amazing because it is bonkers. It makes sense, <laughs> but like. It's the same sort of setup. There is there is a bad guy that shows up. It's an alternate universe version of one of the Power Rangers. And he ends up getting so much power that he breaks time so that at any given point, each team of Power Rangers lives in their own alternate universe. So that like uh you could you could kill one version of of Tommy and the older version of Tommy would still exist. You know what this reminds me of? Have you watched uh, at, like all of Rick and Morty? Uh, I, I've seen three seasons. So the the in the second the second season, one of the first episodes, I think it's the second episode where uh, they like split reality into two, and then it's like two separate show uh, episodes going on at the same time. Do you remember this? Uh, is this where um, it like just keeps going infinitely? Yeah, like eventually uh, it becomes like a bunch of different ones, and he's like, yeah. Rick, Rick the whole time is like, you guys have to be more certain of it, of yourselves. Yes, like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that episode. It's one of it's one of the best episodes ever made. That, oh, so good! I can't I, like that. This is ex- that's exactly what it's like. It's like it's like fra- like fracturing time into so many like smaller and smaller segments like it's it's crazy it's mm-hmm. crazy and now i'm going to get back to this quote from from Brian Cronin uh he's talking about the approach of cable and uh strife being the same person from different time right uh, so that particular approach was sidetracked but not totally thrown off when Liefeld learned that Bob Harris along with Will uh Will Protasio I have such a hard time with this guy's name, and I really feel bad. It's like uh, saying Protasio. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it's Protasio. I think it's Protasio. <laughs> uh, I've heard it a million times, and now when I'm trying to remember how to say it, I can't remember how they've said it before. But I think it's Protasio. Sometimes that makes and, it even more difficult for me. Because like, when I'm trying <laughs> to remember how to say something, it's like, well, how do I? What? Like, what? Like, what? Anyway. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, Bob Harris, along with uh, Will Spertasio and Jim Lee, had determined Cable's origin on their own, apart from Liefeld, the creator of the character. So Harris, Pertasio, and Lee had come up with the idea that Nathan Summers, son of Cyclops, and Madeline Pryor was going to be sent to the future, and he would grow up to be Cable. Liefeld did not like this idea at all, but he was struck with it. He and Fabian Nasseza, who by that point had become a new scripter slash co-writer on New Mutants with Liefeld, determined that, okay, the whole Strife as Cable thing could still work under this change. It would just be that Cable was a clone of Nathan Summers and Strife was the real Nathan Summers. And this eventually was also changed (laughs) to the revelation that Strife was the clone and Cable was the original. So during the early years of X-Force and Cable's own series, uh, the characters were convinced that Cable was not only a clone, but an inferior one who lacked the telepathic and telekinetic abilities of the original, since Cable seemed to have a smaller degree of control and less strength behind his powers. 
This lack of ability was explained by Cable having to constantly use his mutant powers to keep the TO virus from overtaking his entire body. But this still leaves us with some questions. Namely, what happened when baby Nathan went to the future? And why did he come back to the past? And we will learn more about those topics on the next episode of this show. Uh, so, what do you think so far? I, I, I'm, spe- I'm speechless. <laughs> I like. I mean, I, trust me. We we've, we've we've barely scratched the surface. I feel bad I, for anyone that's coming into this. Uh, and like, say, listening to this and then having to wait a while to, to listen to the second part, because it's going to get confusing if you're not listening to them back to back. I just don't want to release a three hour episode. <laughs> I was I was literally just about to say, like, we just touched on cable. Most of the episode was all lead up. And I'm I'm like, my mind is already blown. Like, I, I'm so. It's it's hard. It's hard to understand. <laughs> I, I will say so. I came into I came into Cable kind of just knowing um, my before I started reading the X Men as as thoroughly as I uh, have been for the last few years. Um, I knew he was Scott's son. I knew he was a time traveler, and other and I knew that he was uh, associated with Apocalypse in some way. Other than that, I didn't really have much to go off of. And honestly, a big muscular guy with with giant guns was not that appealing to me. Yeah, I mean, um, especially in, in, a, in a comic like the X-Men where you have like all these really interesting powers. Yeah, I just didn't care. I That changes. I actually really, really like the, the, the character of Cable. <laughs> I'm imagining but, you reading reading the comic book and just going, what? There's, well, it what? kind of... <laughs> here's, here's what I will say. When New Mutants ended, uh, it transitioned into a book called X-Force. And X-Force was very much a Rob Liefeld idea, hmm. uh, which I know you don't really know who that is, but it's very much like, it's, it's going to be all action all the time. Everyone's going to be screaming. There's going to be so many lines on the page. Everyone's going to have big guns. Everyone's going to have pouches. It's going to be a great time. And when I first started reading X-Force, I was like, I am so done with this. Yeah. (laughs) But as Fabian Nasezek got more and more control over the writing aspect of it, I really liked it. (laughs) It became my favorite book to read for a while. And... Cable is one of those characters that got the most out of that because he started off as just kind of a dick. He told everyone what to do. He was always hard on everyone. He was quick to murder. And then as Fabian Nasseza started to, uh, to, to really get his hands on who Cable is, he softened him up a bit and yeah. made him way more likable. Yeah. And, and, and just like a really interesting character. It wasn't like, Look, he has all of this this extra stuff added to him. That's cool, right? And it's more just kind of like, no, the character is cool, and there's this cool extra stuff. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I'm really excited to see how this like this continues. Like, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm already, I'm already like, like I'm really enjoying this story, honestly. That's good. Well, okay. So for everyone else, you can find more information, including all of the sources for today's episode at comicallypedantic.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram by searching at PedanticCast and at Derek L. Chase on both platforms. New episodes come out most Sundays on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.comicallypedantic.com. This show is entirely listener-supported, so if you'd like to support the show, help us stay ad-free, possibly mentioned on the air, uh, you can check out the Patreon link at the top of comicallypedantic.com. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them in text or audio recording to comicallypedantic at gmail.com. I just ask you to please indicate if you'd like your name or question read on the air. We will be back next week with part two of this story. But until then, you can find more exciting adventures at your local comic shop. Comic shop.